You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Same hipster laid in town. <laughs> We're fighting about soccer. <laughs> but that's how we get as people. We get divided. And so we become the judges of the criteria of someone's value. Right, we judge how someone receives value. And now all of a sudden, we judge their access to liberty, to rights, to freedom, to God. Based on a criteria that we decide. An emotional criteria. You could have bad pizza the night before and it could change that criteria. And that's how we function. It's everything from music to soccer to politics to life. We get in these fractions and we begin to see people no longer as how God had created them and the unity that he desires, but on how they voted, on what they put on their Facebook, on how they look, how they act, how much money they have, their social status, their race, their gender, all of these things. And we begin to come fractured. But can I tell you, Jesus came to bring equality. And I'm going to define this word equality because it's hard to cheer for the word equality because you don't know what you're cheering for anymore, right? Because it's group defined. But let me define. When I'm talking equality, here's here's what I'm saying. I'm talking about the equality that comes from God. It's this. Every person has the same God-given value, and we should treat everyone according to that truth. So when I say equality, this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying equity. I'm saying equality. Every person possesses the same God-given God-established, God-founded, God-bought-and-paid-for value, and so they should be treated accordingly. Are you with me? And so Jesus came to bring this, and, and the church was founded on this level of equality and unity and established th- this identity together of being knit together and being united. All people, all valued the same by God, all with equal access to the Father. And so we've been in this James series. We, we started last week. I encourage you to go back because um, I won't sum up like, everything we talked about. We talked a lot about really establishing that it starts all with God, that this is not a work series. All these kind of things really important, but I don't have two and a half hours, so you're going to have to go back and listen. But James is writing this book just to give us a little summary in a very partial age. He's writing it in an age um, where people are very divided. And here's the thing about us people. We've been people since the beginning of people. Right, like we've always been super people-y. Like there's not like one generation that's more like broken people. We're all kind of just this been this way forever. James is writing to this age that was incredibly partial. And the book of James, if you weren't here last week, was the first letter written in the New Testament when it comes to timeline. So it was one of the first things written in the New Testament. And he's writing to people who are dispersed into an incredibly fractured society. A society that's founded on classes. A society that's founded on sects. Got to say that word carefully. A society, well, and I guess gender and sex as well. A society that, that's, that's founded on radical racial prejudice based on national identity. Uh, a society that's really founded on slavery. He's writing into this kind of fractured 
world that people are living in. There's little to no upward mobility in this society unless you have enough money. You could buy your way up, buy some Roman citizenship. You could buy your way up the levels. But you, for the most part, stayed with who you were designated at birth, and you died with who you were designated at birth. Are you with me in understanding this? People were pretty locked into categories. There was Jews versus Gentiles, right? There were the slaves versus the free. Those that, those that were in slavery versus those that were free. There was the rich and the poor. See, very rarely did these things ever cross. There was the Greek and then my favorite one, the barbarian. So if you weren't Greek, according to them, you were a barbarian. I know that sounds cool. At the time, that wouldn't have looked good on a resume. Like you wanted to have Greek. You wanted that one. And so there's little crossover. And so how Jesus comes to earth is revolutionary, not only spiritually but culturally. Because he changes the way that people were valued. See, the world treats people, we treat people based on how we think they should be treated. But Jesus came and he treated people as they ought to be treated since he was there when they were created. Jesus treated people with their instilled, self-owned, created value as human beings. You can never get more individual, self-owned justice than how Jesus Christ treated an individual. That's why Jesus had women followers, even though it was culturally unheard of. That's why Jesus uh, hung out with tax collectors, doctors, fishermen, uh, educated, non-educated, rich, and poor. He hung out with religious leaders. He hung out with prostitutes, right? Jesus was crossing all kinds of boundaries. It's one of the things they hated about him most. Just get in your lane, Jesus. And he's like, no, I hang out with everybody, country club to the strip club, everybody in between. You're, you're all, they're all with me, right? Everybody. That's who he was. That's who he brought in. That's who he welcomed. And so that was what the church that Jesus built. He built it with different backgrounds. It wasn't just a church for the Jewish people. It was a church for all people. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, pull them out real quick. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 real quick. And keep your finger on James 2 if you have it. We'll come back, I promise. But if you brought your Bible, jump to Ephesians 2. I'm going to read you 14 through 22. It will be on the screen. I love this verse. Uh, it goes all the way back to 11, but we won't start there. But it talks about being one in Christ. It's a verse for you, the church. It says this. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, meaning not Jew or Gentile, but one new Christian, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Amen. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, all of us here, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the church. Where there was hostility, God has come in and brought unity. 
I came to bring unity. And in fact, the, the church was founded on the unity of Christ. It was founded on the unity of Jesus Christ. Not just for Jew, not just for Gentile, not just for slave, not just for free, not just for rich, not for just for poor, but for everybody. It was built on the unity of Christ. But let me just, let me just put us at ease. It was never easy. Right? It was never easy for people just like you and I. It was never easy, not human nature, to just instantly be united together. Just like, yeah, I'm just going to lay down all my past biases and hurts and, and differences and, and identities, and then I'm just going to automatically be united forever. No, it wasn't easy. It took work, right? Just like it takes us work. To admit that it doesn't work, it take work is to lie because we all know it does. And if we don't pretend, then we, if we pretend that it doesn't take work, then we can't be honest about it. And we need to be honest that it takes work to be united because when we are united, the body is built up. We become a dwelling place for the Lord. And that's what we desire. And so James, he writes to the church, if you go back to James 2, to warn them about this uh, partiality, he calls it. And he warns them about partiality uh, in a couple ways. And I'm going to sum them up here for you this morning with a couple things. So if you're taking notes or you have one of those calendars, you can flip to the backside and write down some notes. I'm going to share a couple things about partiality this morning that we see in the scripture. The first is partiality cares more about the outward appearance than the inward substance. We see in James 2, 2 through 4, it says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or even meaner, sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges? See, partiality, what James is worrying about, looks at someone and judges their worth based off what we can see. The level of value that another person has is directly related to what I can see. So if I think that they're worth more, they'll get a better spot in my life. They'll get a better spot in my church. They'll get a better spot in my calendar. And so James warns me, says, Reject partiality. See, the Romans, they would do this thing. He mentions rings, and they would get rings, and they would wear them on their left hand as a, as a symbol of wealth. But not everybody was wealth enough to own rings, so they would rent rings from places for specific events. Now, let me translate it. It's, this is called doing it for the gram, right? This is, this, is, this is not a new thing, right? This is renting clothes so you can take pictures so you can be a fashion icon but while you're going fully into debt and bankruptcy. So that others can see you, right? This is the same personality that existed was. I have to elevate myself. I, I, I couldn't define to you what the standard was, but somewhere up above where I am, there's a line that I'll never reach. So I have to keep pouring my resources in because if I could reach this line that's invisible, that someone apparently knows who has more followers than I do, then I'll achieve value and worth. Then I'll, I'll find my self-worth. I'll treat people with more value based on what I see, not what's inside. See, partiality is a little different from respect, and I want to make sure that I emphasize this. I'm not like, 
um, talking about some like gray jumpsuit, um, you know, communism here. I'm like 1984 style. Like, respect is different. Respect is saying I respect uh, a person for who they are and, and, and I love them and I care for them. Or maybe I respect their years or I, I respect their position. So like I'm willing to give someone who, who's walked a little further down the journey with me, w- willing to give them a seat and I'll, and I'll stand on the bus, right? That's respect. Those are different things. What I'm talking about is this partiality that, that speaks to value, speaks to individual value. You can respect somebody, and, and, and it's speaking to, to who you are as someone who respects others and has integrity. But what we're talking about is value that comes against partiality. See, James is writing to the early church and saying, don't treat people based on the value that the world gives. Treat them according to the value that God gives. The world says you're this rich so you can sit here. The world says you come from this country so you can sit here. When David is being anointed king, Samuel sees a really tall, good-looking guy come in. And he sees him come in and Samuel's like, oh, man, this is the moment, right? Tall, tall, good-looking, tall, right? All the things the girls are looking for. Tall, sees him come in, and he's like, so tall. That guy's going to be king. Look how tall he is. At least 6'3", 6'4". But he comes in, and here's what the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look upon his appearance, nor on the height of his stature. I'm just giving this to you shorter people so you feel good, feel confident in your identity. Just own it, y'all. Listen, 5'9 is average. You're doing fine. (laughs) Global average. Uh, Because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The world looks at the outward appearance, the height, but God looks at the heart. The world looks at the charisma, but God looks at the character. God cares about what's inside. Second thing that partiality does is partiality misses what's truly important to God. If you're taking notes, write that down so that you can just reject partiality. Partiality misses what is truly important to God. James is telling us when we assume that the rich man is more important or is more blessed and we give him a greater spot, we're missing what's truly important. See, we begin to value appearance over substance. James 2.4, it says, Have you not made the distinction among yourselves and become judges? I think this is an important phrase. Because when we decide who gets access by what we see, we become judges. Who is the actual judge? God. Who's the actual judge? God. God is the judge. So when we become judge, whose spot do we take? God's. Sin, we talked about this on Palm Sunday. Sin is when we put ourselves in God's place. So when we make ourselves a judge of the value of others, we put ourselves in the place of God. And I know God decently well, and I know his word pretty well, and I would tell you he's not a huge fan of that. Because God lives in God's place. Thankfully, we received grace was when Jesus came and took our place. And I'm thankful for that. But he says, when we say sit here, We're deciding access for somebody based off of a criteria that we assign that we become judges. 
And the access that we grant into our lives, into our schedule, into, into our way, into our money, into our home, into, our thing, into the church, into our small group, in, in, in anything in our life is based off the value that we give. See, the more attention we give them, the more we welcome someone in, the more, more attention that we focus upon them, the more value that we're naturally instilling in them. And when we limit access to God based off of what we see and not what's in our heart, we're taking the position of the Lord. Just imagine for a second that the church or the kingdom of God was like a football game. Like the more money you had, the better seat you could buy and get up front, right? I'd be in the nosebleeds, like, right? Like some of us, we'd just be way up and away. I don't even go to NFL games anymore because you can't even afford to get closer. I can get closer on my TV than I can in the $150 seats up in with the other, you know, like other million Seahawks fans. But there's something about the access that we feel close or far. And James is telling the church the whole world might function in that way. The world functions the way the more money, the more access. The better you smell, the better you can have access. The better you look, the more access you can have. The more I like you, the more you agree with me. Even though I'm wrong, the more access you can have. But James is saying reject that. The false criteria of the world does not decide who has more access. Third thing, partiality stirs up selfishness based off what we can receive. See, what we read in James 2 in verse 5 is, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? This isn't in my notes, but think about this. How many of you, if you could choose, would choose to be poor? Jesus did. Jesus chose to come to this earth, and of all the things he chose, he chose the one thing that all of us would work whatever we could to get out of, which is poverty. But God chose to come and not only be with the poor, but to be poor. Because God is a God who puts his money where his mouth is. And he put his life where his mouth is. And he came and he said he chose. And so what, what, we, what we get it flipped is we begin to see in others, and partiality can awaken in us as a church, is what value do I get from being near this person? Have you ever met a people person that's really just selfish and outgoing simultaneously? It's like, I'm a people person. It's like, no, you just want value from people so you're around them. Those are different things. Partiality says someone's value is based on me, but value doesn't come from another person. It comes from God. And I'm not talking about basic friendship. I'm talking about this idea of you cannot receive validation or influence or money or base someone else's value on how you can receive them. I'll spend time with them because I will receive this designated amount of value from them. So, hey, man, why don't you come sit by me? Ooh, other, uh, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. Why don't you go sit over there? Right? Single people, when you walk into a room, how do you value people? Based off how they check things off on your list or based off how God values them? Because let me just encourage you here. You are not in the place to pursue a relationship unless you are pursuing someone because how God has instilled their God-given value versus what they check off on your list. As a father, I can tell you what I would want someone to pursue my daughter with wasn't, well, she's, she looks like this and she acts like this and she's this for me. I would want, I love her because of who she is. And that's what God wants, not what we can receive, what we can do. That's the danger of partiality. And this is what James was warning is because it divides the church based off what we can get, what we can see, what we think. And we're like, well, we don't, we don't do that. 
Like, really? Have you ever been on a Facebook group? <laughs> it's on this pastor Facebook group, and I just had to stop going on it. <laughs> I just had to. My wife was on when, when, we had our, when we had Lucy. My wife was on this mom's group, and I was like, you got to get off this group. I'm all about moms getting together, but I was like, you got to get off this group because I don't know who was establishing. I don't know what, like, curly-haired mom blogger was establishing the criteria for momness, but we, we apparently were not living up to it. <laughs> And so every time you go on there, it was like, don't do this. Don't turn them on their side. Don't turn them on their back. How could you do this? How could you be this kind of parent? Well, if you stay home, you're this. And if you work, you're this. And if you, if you breastfeed, you're this. And if you bottle, you're this. And if you're this, you're this. Right? There was some invisible criteria. Who's setting these criteria that we're all not living up to? And so partiality says reject this whole garbage lie of criteria. You're right. You're not living up the criteria because you're not supposed to. God did not set this criteria. If you do this and look like this and sound like this, you're a good dad. If you do this and look like this and sound like this, then God will love you. If you do, if you do this and look like this, then you're a good wife, a good mom, a good friend, a good coworker. That's not the value that God has instilled in your life. It's not based on what you do. He says, I did this for you. I, sent, I created you, and I sent my son to die for you so that we might live together for all of eternity. There's your value scale. That's your value. And I think as a church, we would be way less exhausted if we stopped trying to chase after false value and false value scales and stop trying to impose false value on other people. This is what you got to look like to be on a worship team. This is what you got to look like to, to, to host a small group. Nah, man. Are you a child of God? Yeah. Do you love the Lord? Yep. Perfect. You're in. <laughs> we love you. I want to read to you James 2.8 because I love this part. If you have your Bible, it's two, James 2.8 through 13. It says, as if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying that's the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted uh, by the law as transgressors. And if you get lost, I'll explain this portion, so don't freak out on me. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. I'll explain in a second. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Raise your hand if you're still with me. Good. Here's what I'm perfect. Here's... Here's, a, and I'll explain in a second what he's saying in this chunk, and there's three things here, is that Christ values the wealth of your heart over the wealth of your hands. This is what Christ values. Christ values your heart over your hands. The rings on your fingers, Christ values what's happening on your heart. And James tells the church, your value is not based on your wealth. And in fact, what we saw in James chapter 1, if you were here last week, is that he likens wealth to a wildflower. I think you should work hard, and there's a lot of things on stewardship, so we're not rejecting, like, money bad. I'm saying that our value should not come from our wealth. Jesus cares about your heart. He cares about the value that he's given to you as an individual in your heart. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And he tags us on, and so we are. 
See, partiality says your value is based on all these other criteria, and then most of some of them are visible, some invisible, but your value is based on this. The more you meet them or the more others meet them, then the more value, the better that you are. Christ says, I care about you. I care about your heart. I care about who you are. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Everybody has a heart, even if you feel like yours is small or hardened. Everybody has a heart. And so what he's saying is that he's pouring into your heart based on your value, not how others have said you have to meet up. Let me rephrase this in a way that helps us understand here. The doors are open when it comes to access. If you have been told that you cannot have access to the Father because of something having to do with your race, your gender, your social status, your wealth, your background, your past mistakes, your failures, your guilt, your shame. Let me just tell you right now, when Jesus went to the cross and when the curtain was torn, he spoke through all of time to you and said, you have access. That if someone has told you, you know, the, the gates were open and you were going to come in to the presence of God and encounter the transformation that comes from him. And some religious person shut those gates and wrapped them up with chains and says, until you do da, 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 you can't come in. Let me just tell you, that person is a liar and they lied to you. And Jesus says, you can come in. The gates are open. And I feel like for some of you, God has sent me here to be like the spiritual bolt cutters. It's the image that I got last night when I was praying and seeking the Lord. Is that The bolt cutters are, this. I feel like it's an apt illustration for my whole life. They're not the flashiest tool. Most of you don't even know maybe what they look like. <laughs> but when you need in, you need bolt cutters. And they come in and just crank on that and snap those chains off. And I believe that God wants to do that in some of your life because someone has lied to you and said because of your past, you can't have access to the Father. Because of the sins you committed, you can't have access to God. Because of the things you don't know enough, you can't have access to God. And they've, they've misrepresented salvation to you. So I'm going to redefine it for you right here. Are you ready? Salvation is not graduation. It's an invitation that brings transformation. Follow me. I'm going to say it one more time. Salvation is not graduation, meaning you don't got to go through some classes. You don't got to go through some process to receive it. You don't have to, like, have worked everything out and now you're perfect. God knows you're not perfect. That's why you need salvation. That's why I need it because I'm not perfect. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need it. So you don't have to graduate. You don't have to get through the class. You don't got to wear the cap and move the tassel. And now I'm a good Christian. Now I can receive it. It's an invitation into a relationship. And when you get into the relationship, guess what happens? Transformation. See, I'm not trying to transform you before you've encountered the love of God. I want to keep it in the proper order because I know when you encounter the word of God and the love of God, it will transform you. Your journey is between you and God. Your rate of transformation is between you and God. Your life, your standards, what you're trying to live up to, what you're focusing on, who you're pursuing all has to do with God. And if someone has told you that it is by something else, they lied. It's only God. Are you with me? Amen. So I want to tell you it's open. And I, I just want to be a church and raise up a generation of bolt cutters that we were just like out there in the streets like, oh, this gate's closed? Nope. Dunk. Like this, oh, nope. Dunk. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, well, you know, my relationship's still a mess. I don't know if I can come to, nope. Like, you're in. Like, let's let him figure it out. Like, you've been trying all by yourself. Let's let him do it. 
open. That's, that's bolt cutters, if you don't know. I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Second thing this morning, your value is found and founded in Christ alone. Two important words that sound the same. Thanks, English. Partiality says your, your value is based off wealth. We've got to treat people based off what we can see, what we can get. Christ says, no, I created you. I gave you value. No one, hear me, no one can take that value from you. Because not only do you find your value in Christ, but your value is founded, meaning rooted and established in the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. So unless they can kill Jesus, they can't take your value. And they've tried and they failed. Because he's alive. It's founded in him. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. I just want to read you a portion. It says, for you formed, this is David speaking to the Lord. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my own unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God gave you value when he created you before you were born. See, you're thinking, you're still thinking. I can, I can sense in the spirit that you're still thinking what you have to do to earn this value that God has given you. But hear me tell you that he already gave it to you. He beat you to the punch. You can't earn it because he already gave it. You can't buy a present that's already been given to you. He's already given it to you. You can't earn it. You feel like, I lost it. Too bad he gave it to you from the beginning. It's yours. It's forever. It's yours. It's your value. And we carry all these things, all these titles upon us that we feel like gives us access more or less to the kingdom of God. But God wants to remove those things. He wants to remove those titles and those identities. And he wants to establish the true identity. And I'm going to tell you what it is this morning because I think it's important. This is, this is the keys. My last thing this morning, and I think if you can get this, it will change your life. This is like my platform of my life. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer in him, that we may also be glorified with him. See, when Christ sees you, he does not see the labels of the world. He sees his child. Some of you need to hear, you need to hear me say, I think there would be a, a greater amen if we really grasp this, that when God sees you, he sees his son. When God sees you, he sees his daughter. When Christ sees you, he doesn't see the labels of the world. My wife and I, we just finished uh, our adoption classes, and, and, and I've been praying a lot about the, this process in adopting, and we've been praying for, for, for um a girl that we're going to adopt, and, and we've just been praying, God, bring the right person. And I'm just praying for this kid. And I know that when we bring this child in, I'm going to love this child like my own child, right? I'm going to care for them. I'm going to nurture them. I'm not going to establish their value based off their past. I'm going to establish it based off their God-given identity. And so we're going to welcome, welcome her in. She's going to have an inheritance in our family because she's adopted. She's a part of our family. 
And that is the adoption that we have received. That is the adoption that we have, have been brought into is that we are not secondary children, but we are the children of the most high God. We're sons and daughters. Our value is established as that. And so when we cry out to God, when we look to God, we're not looking like slaves. We're not looking like servants. We're not bums in an alley. We're children of God. Your value is that. If someone has told you your value is broken, your value is forgotten, your value is guilty, whatever they've tried to demean your value, you need to come back with the fact that I'm an adopted son of God. It means I'm powerful. I'm an adopted daughter of God. It means I'm precious and beautiful in his sight. That's where my value comes from. Third thing I'm going to invite the band up this morning is this, and this comes from this idea, and, and this is why I believe if we can grasp this, it changes everything, is that when you truly know your value, you will more fully value others. See, the hard part can be when we're trying to love and value other people is that we're doing so from a deficit. We're doing so as empty vessels. Woo! Boom. We're doing so as empty vessels. And I think that's so important because when we embrace our value in Christ as sons and daughters, like it says in Romans 8, it changes everything. And we don't treat others based off of their wealth or their emotions. We don't treat them based off their, their background or their country of origin or the color of their skin. What we've been told, oh, these people are like this or those people are like this. Or, oh, yeah, you know, but these people always did this or those people did this to me. We treat others based off of what we have received and know ourselves and then pour out into others. Are you still with me? It changes when we begin to see ourselves as children of God. We begin to see others as children of God. It changes how we talk about people. When you realize that the person that you're talking about is the daughter of the Most High God, and you're saying it since God is omnipresent and omniscient, you're saying it about his daughter in front of his face, it changes the way we think, the way we talk. It changes the way how we lust. It changes the way how we love. It changes how we get angry. It changes when we see somebody hungry. We're not just seeing some random straggler. We're seeing the literal son, adopted child of the most high God, hungry and hurting. We don't see their skin color. We see their sonship. We see their daughterhood. And we see it in embodied in this person, the love of God. And our job is to establish their value. If you want to be more merciful, though, you have to fully grasp your identity and the mercy you've received from God. If you struggle to be merciful, often it's because you cannot fully accept your adoption. And so you're still feeling like it's good to feel guilty. It's not good to feel guilty. Let it go. It's not good to feel shame. There's healthy guilt, healthy shame. I understand those things in conviction. That's important. But you don't have to hold on to it. You can release it to be the full son and daughter of God. James calls us. I told you I was going to explain. calls us the royal law, and he says it's love your neighbor as yourself. This comes from Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Jesus is asked to sum up the law of the prophets, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
You're saying, wait, I, th I thought the law was fulfilled. I thought we had a new covenant. Yes, but what he's emphasizing here is called selective obedience. He's saying just because Jesus came and fulfilled the law doesn't mean like do not murder is not a thing anymore. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm under grace, so I can kill whoever I want because that was under the law. No, he's saying now you've received the spirit. Now you've received the heart. Now God is taking up residence within you. God desires to be in relationship with you. And so God's heart for the church and God's heart for you has always been to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's first. And that fuels love others as yourself. Because if you don't recognize the God-given value that you have as a son and daughter of God, you cannot do this. You can be gentle, you can be kind, but you will never instill the God-given value into people. You will never lift, encourage, strengthen, be merciful if you do not first accept the mercy that you've received. If you do not first accept your sonship, then the church is just going to be some part, some dwelling of partiality where we break off and we can put the young adults over here and we can put, you know, this skin color over here and this skin color over here and this interest over here and these people over here and this wealth over here. And you can kind of wander around and say, well, I can't connect with anybody because no one's like you. Good. No one is like you. No one has your story. Amen. You're here to bring unity of the believers and reject partiality to accept your value and instill it into others. But how you pour out into others is purely based on how you're filled. And James, I believe, is heartfelt as the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, writing to the church with strong conviction because it's in there, but with truth, trying to come with the spiritual bolt cutters and break open some of those doors and say, you need to get into the presence of God and get a revelation of his love for your life and discover your full sonship and your full daughtership and, and, and understand that because when you do, then it's not called evangelism, it's called instilling value. Then it's not forcing to share the gospel, it's how you instill value. How you pour out is based on how you're filled up. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. I believe that some of you, as we stand together, I'm going to invite you, just close your eyes, it gives you a chance to focus our hearts and minds. I believe that some of you, God wants to give a deeper revelation of, of his love for you. Because you have felt outside the gate when it comes to access. You have felt separated. You have felt distanced. Maybe it's something someone said to you. Maybe it's a level of access they said that you can have. But you have felt like, now oh, there's something I gotta do, there's something I gotta earn. Maybe some of you in your own life as moms and dads or, or as young adults or as empty nesters, whatever you might be in your stage of life, you might feel like there's some standard where you've been missing the mark and so you felt burdened by it. Maybe you're a teacher and you see other teachers and how they're doing it and that's not how your class looks. So this year you felt a little burdened and heavy laden trying to live up to a standard and now you're just kind of exhausted. This morning I believe that God wants to just fling wide the doors and invite you into access with him into his presence this morning. And it's a simple call, and it comes from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This morning, if, before we can even begin to pour out into others, we need God to pour into us and instill that value and remind us of our adoption 
and to release that burden that's upon our shoulders of trying to live up to the standard. If that's you this morning, I invite you to just lift your hand with me. Sing, I just need to release the burden that's upon my shoulders and find the rest that comes from the Lord. I need to get filled up again. I need God to remind me that I'm his son, that I'm his daughter. Just leave your hands up. Leave them lifted up. God, I need you to pour out into me. That's what I need today, Lord. I need you to pour out into me. Come on, if that's you, just lift him all the way up. Just begin to ask him, say, God, I need you to pour out into me. Remind me that I'm your son. Remind me that I'm your daughter. Remind me that my value comes from you. Remind me that my, my heart is what you value, God. Not my appearance, not my wealth, not my status, God. Not my works. It's, it, it's my heart. You value me. Remind me today. I want to pray with you this morning. Actually, we're, we're going to do this because I, I believe that there needs to be breakthrough this morning. I, I can just sense that in the spirit, that there needs to be some breakthrough. And these sometimes in these moments it's hard. But I'm just going to believe you're going to take a bold step this morning. If that's you and you raised your hand and you said, I need to just be filled up with that, that revelation of my value of who God is. I need that breakthrough. I need that release of my burden. I'm just going to invite you right now to come forward and I want to pray with you. So if that's you, just come right here and I want to pray with you this morning. I'm going to invite you to take that bold step. Jesus, Jesus, just come forward. Just fill in the space here. I'm going to pray with you just a moment. I think there's something powerful about stepping forward because it's a decision and because it's just, it's just authentic. It's honesty before the Lord that says, God, I need you. And as, as I pray, I'm going to invite our prayer team. It's just going to kind of come around and lay hands on you and begin to pray for you. But I want to pray. If you're in this room, would you just reach your hands forward here this morning? We're going to pray over these people up here this morning. If you're on my staff or my team too, you're welcome to come up and begin praying as well. God, we pray this morning and we thank you, God, that our value is is in you and you alone, that you have poured out your spirit into our hearts. God, this morning, if there's any way that we've been trying to measure up or live up or be strong enough or be tough enough or meet this line, God, I pray a release in the name of Jesus. God, a release of all guilt, a release of all shame, a release of all fear, a release of all anger, a release of feeling devalued. God, if there's anything, any words that have been spoken over our lives or identities that have been spoken over us that have tried to claim who we are or our future, I just break those in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray right now, would you fill up every person with a deeper revelation of your love. God, reveal yourself to them in a fresh way that in all things we face, that we would do so as those who are filled by your spirit, filled by the value you've given. So I pray this morning, establish in our hearts the truth of your adoption. Establish the truth of our adoption as sons and daughters into our hearts. We pray this morning. Let's just worship him together. Let's worship him together. Yes, God.